0: radically change your life and your whole perspective on life than knowing that you're about to become a parent. I remember when she said that to me, I still remember just like it happened yesterday when she said we're going to have a baby, the thought that immediately came to my mind was this is what happens to young people who get married. Decades later Teresa and I were sitting at home, we just returned from our annual summer vacation and our oldest son and daughter-in-law called and asked if they could come over and they walked in the door, and uh, Natalie handed Teresa and me a piece of paper and asked us to look at it. Well, I didn't know what it was. I really did not know what I was looking at, and I didn't really notice Teresa break out into this big smile. And I said, well, what is this? And Natalie said, well, Pop, it's, it's an ultrasound picture. And I said, well, well who is it? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and Natalie said, you're going to have a grandbaby. And then the thought hit me, that's what happens to old people when they stay married. So I can tell you, life never has been and never will be the same since those two magnificent announcements. You know, we've been talking over the last uh, several weeks about some of the announcements that we have lived to hear and we live to see. Some of you, the World War II generation, you're still old enough to remember when it was announced that Pearl Harbor had been attacked. Those of us who are baby boomers are old enough to remember when it was announced that John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. Is this not working? It's staticky. Okay, so is this better? All right, we'll turn this off. Okay, all right, good. So it was staticky? See, I'm I'm so old I can't hear anymore. And then more of us will never ever forget the announcement that took place. Some of us were watching it live when the airplanes flew into the World Trade Center and then all of us almost without exception every four years we'll stay up late at night to hear the announcement of who's going to be the next president of the United States and yet of all the announcements that's ever been made and many of we've been privileged to see in here there's never been ever in the history of this world An announcement quite like the one that took place 2,000 years ago that so changed the world. And it was an announcement that was literally made on the air. It literally came over the air. That's why we're calling this series, for those of you who are guests of ours today, we're calling it Christmas on the Air. Because what we've been learning over the last three weeks is that, that Christmas is not just a moment in history. Christmas is a message to humanity. Christmas is a time when God broke into the lives of everybody on this planet and literally over the air said something magnificent is about to happen. And on that silent night in Bethlehem, God's Word tells us that God was broadcasting live. And an announcement that was made that causes the entire world to break out in a celebration we do every year called Christmas. And it's kind of interesting. You know, you think about it, without this announcement there would have been no Christmas. And I got. I sat down the other day, I was working on this message, and I just put my pen down and I started thinking to myself, what would our world look like without Christmas? I mean, think about it. What if, what if we didn't celebrate Christmas? No carols, no aroma of fresh-cut Christmas trees, no glittering, shining ornaments, no mistletoe, no colorful lights adorning the houses in the neighborhood, no Christmas specials on television, and worst of all, no Christmas cookies, no eggnog. But can you imagine that? By the way, you, you, all you men out there, uh, the, I found this out the other day, a little interesting side note, doesn't have a whole lot to do with the sermon. But I thought it was kind of fascinating. We men would be better off in at least health wise if there really weren't all this Christmas hubbub going on. And let me tell you why. A British psychologist found that Christmas shopping is actually hazardous to a man's health. Here's a, here's what the, I'm not making this up. They asked males to volunteer between the ages of 22 and 79. Here's what they did. They put a blood pressure monitor on these men. And they said, we want you to go to the mall, listen to this, on the day before Christmas and you've got to shop all day long in the mall the day before Christmas. They monitored, listen, and this is amazing, they recorded the blood pressure of those volunteers. They said the blood pressure of the average, average man shot up to a level that you would only see in a fighter pilot going into combat amazing thing. Wait a minute, it gets better. They did the same test on women. Blood pressure never moved. It just stayed just the same. Surprise, surprise. Well, we certainly could not imagine an America without Christmas. You really couldn't. Listen, a whopping 95% of all Americans will celebrate Christmas. You say, what about people who don't believe in Jesus? 80% of non-religious people, will still celebrate Christmas. And yet we all know today, and I'm not going to dwell on this, but there really is an effort to downplay the announcement that gave birth to the holiday. I was in a store in the mall this past week, finishes up some shopping for Teresa. And uh, there was a lady behind the counter and uh, that was waiting on me, and there was another lady waiting, w- working beside her. And the lady working beside her uh, looked up and she said, You're James Merritt. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, I go to Church of God. She told me where she went to church. She said, I watch you on TV every single Sunday. She was so kind. And and, and so they have got through finish, finished up the gifts. And I looked at the lady waiting on me, and I said, well, hey, thank you very much. I said, Merry Christmas. And she kind of frowned, and she said, um, I'm not allowed to say that. And I said, really? She says, no, I, we're not allowed to say that. And then she looked around, and she said, Merry Christmas. Now, we all know there's kind of that that effort down there, and yet every time you hear that announcement, every time you realize why it is the greatest announcement ever made in the history of the world. So I want to take us back 2,000 years to that announcement. If you brought a copy of God's Word, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third chapter, third chapter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, I want you to turn to the second chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And I want to show you that what makes this announcement so incredible, and we've read about it many times, but what makes this announcement so incredible is not just what was announced, I mean, that was pretty cool in and of itself, but it's who announced it and who it was announced to. So let's pick up in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region, There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Now, you can't even read the Christmas story. I've told you this before. Without bumping into angels everywhere, angels are all over the Christmas story. It was an angel that told Mary, you're going to become the mother of the Son of God. It was an angel that told Joseph to whom Mary was engaged, She's going to be pregnant with child, and you're not going to be the dad. It was an angel that said to the shepherds out of the field, listen, what we told Mary and Joseph was going to happen is what has now happened. And this announcement was so huge, so important. It was so critical. This is what's amazing to me. God so wanted that announcement to be heard and heard clearly, understood and understood clearly, and accepted, he sends it by way of what I call heavenly DJs. He sends it by way of angels. Now, at first glance, you know, you you would think, well, since he used an angel to make this announcement, you would think that he would go ahead and make this announcement to the greatest person or the greatest people he could find, and he would also make it in the greatest place that you could possibly imagine. I mean, surely... If, if I were to say to you, hey, God's about to make an announcement that's going to change the world, where do you think he would make this announcement? You're living 2,000 years ago. You would have said, well, um, I, I would give you several guesses. Rome, rome that's the political capital of the world. Well, no, not there. Really? Okay, Athens, because Athens is the cultural center of the world. No, not there. Well, give me a hint. Well, it's in Israel. Oh, Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is the spiritual capital of Of the world, and yeah, I say to you, nope, not gonna make it there either. Well, where's he gonna make it? Bethlehem, and you go Bethlehem, what? Bethlehem, because unlike today, nobody two thousand years ago outside of Bethlehem had ever heard of Bethlehem. The only claim to fame Bethlehem had was it was the birthplace of David. And besides that, if I'd have said to you, well, what country do you think God will make this announcement in? you would have said, well, he'll make it in Italy because that's where the, the, the capital of the Roman Empire is. Nope, not there. Well, then he'll make it in Greece because everybody knows Greece is the most popular cultural country in all the world. Nope, we're not going to make it there. He's going to choose Israel. You'd go, wait a minute, a country that's under the domination of the Roman Empire, a country that's not even free, he's going to make it there? Yep. And guess who's going to make it to? And you would have said, well... Surely he will make it to Julius Caesar to, to the Caesar himself. Nope, not to the Caesar. Well, well, he'll he'll make it to one of the emperors. Nope, not one of the emperors. Well, he'll 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 make it to a king like King Herod. No, he won't make it to them. Oh, I know. He's gonna make it to a general because they 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 have all the, the military power. Nope, not them. Oh, well, then maybe he'll do it to the philosophers and the scholars. Nope, not to them. And you go, wait a minute. He's not going to announce it to people who have political power or military power or intellectual power. Nope. Oh, I got it. He's going to announce it to the priests and the prophets because they've got all the religious power. And I go, nope, not going to make it to them either. And you go, well, who in the world is he going to tell this to? And I say to you, the first humans, they're going to hear this announcement. And the first humans invited to visit this new baby are going to be shepherds. You go, shepherds, shepherds. They're on the lowest rung of the social ladder. They lack the most basic manners. They make the guys on Duck Dynasty look like they're James Bond. Are you you kidding me? He's going to make this announcement to shepherds they use the language of the earth they dip snuff when you get around them you smell the stench of sheep they only come into town when they're selling their flock well who are they oh we won't even ever know their names are you serious You're telling me that shepherds are at the top of the guest list? You're telling me that the most incredible human announcement ever made in the history of the world, they're the ones going to have the front row seats? You know, if you ever see pictures or paintings or carvings of the nativity scene, here's what you'll usually see. You'll see Mary. You'll see Joseph. You'll see the baby. And the poster boys of everybody else are not the shepherds. Who are the poster boys? The wise men. That's who you always see. They got the gifts, they got the crowns, and, and 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 these are the people that the artists love to paint and the sculptors love to mold. Well, let me let you let me, kind of, let me let you a little secret. I know this firsthand. If you've ever played one of the shepherds in the in the church play or the school play around Christmas time, you're being sent a message. You're not going to Hollywood. TV is not in your future. I know this. When I was in the third grade, we got an announcement. We were all to go down to the gymnasium. We didn't know what we were going down to the gymnasium for. We all went down to the gymnasium. We were having a Christmas play. chickpea Elementary School, not far from here. We were putting on a Christmas play. And, and they wanted everybody to audition for a part, right? Well, you know, nobody's going to be baby Jesus because I was just a little bitty baby doll. So everybody's kind of auditioning these parts. I don't remember what part I tried out for. I got a part. I was one of the shepherds. Now, you know what I did? Nothing. You know what I said? Nothing. I wore a a, a quilt over my head, a quilt that my grandmother had made. I wore a quilt, and and my mom fixed me like a little white apron that I tied around my waist, and I just stood there. I, I didn't do anything. I just, you know, nothing. So I know because I got the part of a shepherd, I still haven't said anything yet. And it was these shepherds that got to hear the greatest announcement ever made on the air. Listen to it in verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now let me stop. I want to show you something. There's nothing extraordinary about good news. And there's nothing extraordinary about good news bringing great joy because good news always brings great joy to somebody. You say, well, what made this so different? Here's what made it so different. It is another thing when you say this is going to be good news of great joy to all people, to everybody. This is good news that will bring great joy to every single person on earth. Well, what is that good news? It is that in a baby is good news. In who that baby is and what that baby brings, everyone on this planet because of that baby, everybody on this planet that will ever live will have everything he or she will ever need in that one little baby. You say, how do you know that? Because of who that baby is called. Angel said, in this city has been born a baby who is the Savior, Christ the Lord. Now, let me tell you why that's such a big deal. That is the only time in the entire Bible all three of those terms are used together. Only time. In this city is going to be born a baby, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That little baby is given three titles, Savior, Christ Lord, only time you find them together, and yet it tells us everything we need to know about who that baby is, what that baby is going to do, what that baby is going to bring, and it tells us something about Christmas. This is what I want you to take out the door this morning. Christmas is the reason for every season. I hear people say, "Well, Christmas is the reason for the season." Well, it was better than that. Christmas is the reason for every season. Because listen, I don't know what I don't know what season of life you're in. It may be a good one or a bad one. It may be a happy one or a sad one, doesn't matter. That baby who was God tells us three things about God that we should always remember not only at Christmas but every day of the year. So let me tell you why Christmas is good news that brings great joy to all people because it tells us three things about this God that that sent this baby. Number one, Christmas tells us that God saves his people. Now listen to what we read in verse 11. For unto you is born this day day in the city of David a Savior. Let me just stop right there. If that angel had not said one other word, if, if he'd said that and just gone right back to heaven, this would have still been good news for great joy of all, for all the people. Let me tell you why. If there is such a thing as sin, and if indeed we are all sinners, then the greatest need and the only solution to our greatest problem is a Savior. Now, you think about this. This angel looks at those shepherds, and he just announced this is good news for all people. Well, that raises a legitimate question. How is this good news for Muslims? How is this good news for Hindus? How is this good news for Buddhists? How is this good news for a Jew or a Gentile? How is it good news for an atheist or an agnostic? How is it good a good news for rich and poor How is it a good news for every ethnic category on this planet? I'll tell you why it's good news for everybody because there's one thing we all in, have in common we are all sinners in need of salvation every one of us we are all sinners in need of salvation and the only one that can bring salvation is a savior And so, from the very first breath this baby took, we learn from this angel, Jesus did not come into this world to set an example of righteousness. He didn't come just to be a teacher of morality and ethics. He didn't just even come primarily to be a social reformer to feed the hungry and clothe the poor. He came because we need a Savior more than anything else. We need a Savior. And let me tell you why that's good news. See, Not everybody in this world is poor. I have to be honest with you. The poorest person in this church is richer than the average person on this planet. Did you know that? The poorest person in this church is richer than the average person on this planet. Not everybody in this world is illiterate. A lot of the world can read and write. Not everybody in this world is sick. But everybody in this world is a sinner. Everybody, the Pope, the President, Billy Graham, the homosexual, the heterosexual, the married, the single, the rich, the poor, the black, the white, we are all sinners all of us. We were all born in sin. We all live in sin. And without a Savior, we will die in sin. And the reason why this is such good news for all people is because in this baby, we have a God who saves his people. We have a God who says, I'll save anybody, anytime, anywhere, under any circumstance that will come to me and receive the salvation that I offer. Now, you know We know that's good news, and yet the question still comes back. But but how do we really know that's true? How can I really be so sure that that baby can really deliver? I mean, are you over-promising and under-delivering? Can that little baby really do what you just said? Yeah, I know he can. See, so how do you know? Because that little baby tells me that not only God saves his people, it tells me that God keeps his promises. Because listen to what else we're told about him in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Now you know what the word Christ means. It literally means anointed one. That's what it means in the Hebrew language. It comes from the Hebrew word that means Messiah. Now to a Gentile, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But 2,000 years ago, if you're Jewish, 2,000 years ago, if you've been raised in the synagogue, if 2,000 years ago, if you're a regular attender of the temple, 2,000 years ago, if you believed the Old Testament, that would have been music to your ears. Let me tell you why. The Jews did not see the Old Testament as just a, a historical record of their existence or just another collection of religious truths. They saw the Old Testament as literally the Word of God. And in that Word, they didn't just see a collection of writings that were disconnected or unrelated to each other. When they read their Bible, they realized there was one thread that connected the entire Old Testament. There, there, there was one strand that connected the entire Old Testament. There was one theme that glued it all together. There was this promise that one day God's going to send the deliverer for all of his people. One day God's going to send the Messiah who would come and establish the kingdom of God. And what this angel is telling these Jewish shepherds were and what is that what the scribes had been talking about, what the prophets had been talking about, what the Jewish nation had been looking for, for hundreds and thousands of years had now come. Because if you go back, if you want to understand the Old Testament, it's really easy. I, I have people tell me all the time, I don't like the Old Testament. It's hard to understand. It's easy to understand. Now, there are parts of it hard to understand. But as a whole, Old Testament, it is easy easy to understand. I'm going to tell you what it, let me tell you what the Old Testament's all about. It's real simple. God creates Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve falls. They sin. They rebel against God. The entire world is plunged into physical and moral and spiritual chaos. And yet before, even before he kicks them out of the Garden of Eden, God makes a promise. He said, I'm going to send a Savior to take care of the mess you created. And I'm going to send a Messiah to take back the rule of this world. And from the time that God made that promise, that became the number one to-do item on his to-do list. Every, Every day, number one item, send the Messiah. Every day, number one item, send the Savior. And from the third chapter of Genesis to the first chapter of Matthew, everything that happens in the Old Testament, everything is getting ready for God to keep his promise, getting everything ready to send that baby, getting everything ready to send that Messiah. And from the time God made that promise, he said, I'm going to get that done. Now, obviously, we now know he wasn't the kind of Messiah that many of these Jewish people were looking for. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. He was exactly the kind of Messiah that God intended to send all along. Because God was saying to the Jewish nation, you don't get it. The greatest thing you need is not political freedom. The greatest thing you need is spiritual freedom. Because what good does it do a man to live in political freedom and die in spiritual bondage? What good does it do a man to live in liberty and to die in sin? And in that little baby, in that little baby, in that cradle... God could look at the world and God could say, I made a promise, I kept my promise. See, it's one thing to have somebody promise something to you, right? It's another thing for somebody to keep it. I want to tell you something. There is nothing more disappointing. You and I know this. There is nothing more disappointing than a broken promise, nothing. But there's nothing more satisfying than a kept promise. And when it comes to keeping his promise, can I give you some good news? Good news. God is batting a 1,000. God's never made a promise and never will make a promise that God hasn't kept or that God will not keep. So when I look at that baby, I say, man, this is good news. That brings great joy to all people because, number one, that little baby tells me God saves his people. He is the Savior. That little baby tells me God keeps his promise. He sent the Messiah. And then that little baby tells me God handles our problems. Now listen to what we read in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ. Now watch these last two words, the Lord. Boy, I'm I'm so glad that angel got those two words in there. Because what we're learning now is, well, that baby's not just the Savior of the world. And that baby's not just the Messiah of the Jews. That baby is the Lord of the universe. And that word, Lord, signifies someone who's in complete control, has total authority, has everything under his feet. I want to tell you something. I got up this morning. Yes, on my birthday. I got up this morning. And I said, Lord, I'm so grateful that I have someone far greater than me calling the shots in my life. I'm so grateful, Lord, I am not at the mercy of a world that is as fickle as a world can get. I'm so grateful, Lord, I'm not at the mercy of interest rates. I'm not at the mercy of inflation. I'm not at the mercy of deficits. I'm not at the mercy of who's in control of this this branch of government or that branch of government. I am so grateful that I have a Lord who is calling the shots. I'm so grateful that I have a Lord who will direct me to go the right way. I have a Lord who will protect me when I go the right way. And I've got a Lord who will correct me when I go the wrong way. I have a Lord that I answer to. And the Lord, listen, the Lord not only knows everything that's going on today, the Lord knows everything that's going to happen tomorrow. That's why the greatest thing anybody could ever do with their life is to surrender it to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To know every day the rest of your life, Lord, you'll direct me in the right way. You'll protect me in the right way. And you'll correct me when I go the wrong way. And let me tell you something. Just to know that Jesus Christ is Lord, you know what that tells me? That tells me no matter what problems I encounter in my life, I can handle uh, He can handle it. See, that's why some people get depressed, they shouldn't get depressed. I, I bet you I could talk to some of you right now. I, 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 I bet you this is true of 95% of you in this room. I could come to you right now and I could say to you, let me ask you a question. Do you have a problem that you already know you can't handle? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I do. Right now, I've got a problem, in my, I can't handle it. Well, the good news is, you don't have a problem he can't handle, he's Lord. He's in control. He's in charge. How many of you have ever seen these little bumper stickers on cars? God is my co-pilot. Have you ever seen that? You see that bumper sticker? Now, that sounds nice, right? God is my co-pilot. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, you can't even get in the cockpit except by His grace. I, I hate to... Kind of burst some bubbles in this room. God doesn't co-anything. Now, God doesn't mind you sitting next to him. But I'll tell you what you're going to learn the hard way. If you choose to take the controls and fly that plane, you're going to crash. I I remember uh, Joshua, my son Joshua. Joshua's a pilot. Pray for Joshua. He's in Panama City, Panama, this morning. Had to fly down there last night. He's got to fly back today, and and um, I, I just don't. When I know he's flying over a lot of water, I just don't like that. I just rather him fly over land. But anyway, just just pray he'll get back safe. But anyway, I, I, I was thinking about uh, last night. I got to, we, he called and he said, "Hey, Dad, you know, I'm about to fly to Panama." And he got down there safe, thank the Lord. And so he's a fantastic pilot. But but I remember I never forget the the uh, the second time I ever went up with him in an airplane. It was a little two-seat airplane, and and uh, we, he said, uh, he just wanted wanted to get some hours in, and so he said, Dad, what are you doing this afternoon? And I said, Nothing. He said, Let's go fly together. And He said, You know, I've got a plane that uh, a guy's gonna let me fly, and I said, Okay. It's a little you know a little single-engine two-seat uh, plane. So we get in the, you know we got in the cockpit there, and I'm strapped in, and 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 I've got the same controls in front of me. He's got right. He's got controls. I got controls. So you know when he's strapped in. He said, uh, "Dad, he said, I need you to do just one thing for me." And I said, "Sure." I said, "What is it?" He said, "Don't touch anything." It's <laughs> so, okay, you know, I'm I gladly agreed, right? So we we take off and we're just we're flying around, kind of close to where we live. We've been up about thirty minutes, and he looked at me and he said, uh, "Dad, you want to fly the plane?" I said, "What?" He said, "You want to fly the plane?" And being the, being the brave man I am, I said, no. And he said, no, come on, Dad. He said, I'm right here. You fly the plane. And he said, go ahead. And he, said, he kind of told me some things to do. I, for the you pilots out there, I just want to tell you, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. I mean, it's just, it, it's just so hard. Now, after a while, I did kind of manage to keep the plane level. That was the good news. The bad news was we were going down level, okay? So, so, and, and, and I, I'm going to tell you something. Let me, let me just be honest with you. Even though I'm sitting in the seat next to him, and even though I've got those controls right in front of me, let's get something straight. There was only one pilot on board that airplane. He wasn't co nothing. He was the pilot. He was the one that knew what he was doing. He was the only one that could get that plane down safely. And I'll tell you, of the two of us that could land that plane, guess who it wasn't? me. No, I wasn't co-anything, and neither are you. He is Lord. Now, I've got some good news of great joy to all of you today. This baby that was born 2,000 years ago, this baby is a Savior, the God who saves His people. This baby is the Messiah, the God who keeps His promises. This baby is the Lord, the God who handles our problems. But there's still one other announcement that the angels make, verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, it's worth noting here that these shepherds, man, I would have loved to have been there. Here's these lowly shepherds, and they're getting to enjoy the highest state-of-the-art angelic show ever recorded in scripture. Listen, they not only got a lot of one-on-one time with one angel who's probably Gabriel, they're listening to this heavenly broadcast in FM stereo. They're they're getting this angelic choir like nobody had ever heard. And so what happened was the curtains of angels are pulled back. The curtain of of heaven is pulled back. And all of a sudden, this angel who had been talking to them is now accompanied by this multitude of the heavenly tabernacle choir. By the way, the Greek word there for multitude is the word 10,000, which was the highest number for which the Greeks had any worth. Now, I want you to think about this. Have you ever heard... A choir of 10,000 voices? Can you imagine what 10,000 angels would have sounded like? I mean, can can you just imagine these angels all singing in absolute perfect pitch? All singing in divine harmony? All hitting every note on the button? Can you imagine what that must have sounded like to these angels and to these shepherds? I mean, here's these angels. They're praising God. Why? Why? Because in eternity past, God had told these angels about the plan of salvation. And for who knows how many years, they had watched with front row seats as the human race fell into sin. They had watched with front row seats as the human race was kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then for all these years, there was probably these conversations going on. I wonder when he's going to send this Messiah. I wonder when he's going to send this Savior. I wonder when he's going to do what he said he was going to do. And even the angels must have been shocked when they saw Jesus leaving. Where are you going? I'm going to earth. Why? I'm the Savior. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Lord. Not you. Yes, me. And then one angel probably looked at the other one and said, you know what? Who else could do it but Jesus. And they watched with front row seats as that little baby was conceived in the womb of that mother. And that baby was laid in that cradle. And they gave glory to God because they knew He has achieved the greatest goal of all. He has accomplished the greatest work of all, which is to bring peace on earth. And I want to stop right here and say this. Understand what the angels meant when they said peace on earth. Because a lot of people don't understand that. That's why they don't understand Christmas. Christmas. Peace on earth doesn't refer to peace of mind. It doesn't refer to rest for the stress. It doesn't refer to the absence of war. That's not what the angel was talking about. It means the greatest peace of all. You know what the greatest peace of all is? Peace with God. I got news for you. When you're on your deathbed about to draw your last breath, you couldn't care less if a war is going on. You couldn't care less about everybody else who's stressed out. When you come to the end of your life and you're lying on your deathbed, the only kind of peace you want to make sure you have is, I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with the God that made me. I'm at peace with the God that created me. And I'm about, I'm about going to go to spend eternity with the God that sent his son to die for my sins. It is peace with God that's found when you experience the grace of God. I love the way one man put it. He said, God takes life's broken pieces and gives us unbroken peace. We're living in a world, and there's not a lot of peace today in this world. We're living in a world today filled with conflict and terrorism and war and violence and murder and hatred and financial instability and social and cultural collapse. And yet, you know what really is true? When everybody else is losing their head, you can keep yours. If you'll face this world and this life, Whatever brings, whatever it comes, if you will face whatever this world and life brings you with the peace of God and the peace with God, you can face anything. But let me tell you this. You will never have complete peace in this life, ever, until you're at complete peace with the one that brought you into this life. We'll say that again. You will never have complete peace in this life until you're at complete peace with the one that brought you into This life, And the only way you'll ever have that kind of peace is to receive that little baby into your heart that was born 2,000 years ago. So I just want to wrap up with this. I don't know what your favorite Christmas carols are. I guess, you know, we've all got our kind of favorite, you know, Christmas carols and and, and whatever. Um, You know, I'll tell you my least favorite one of all. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. That has has to be the, whoever wrote that had absolutely nothing else to do with their life. Nothing. But we've all got like, you know, Christmas carols that we really like, right? Well, one of the most beautiful Christmas carols to me is I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Now, we've all heard it. But what makes the song so beautiful and the carol so meaningful to me is not the, the tune. It's not so much that. It's who wrote it and why he wrote it. You may not know this, but the author of that song, the writer of that song, was the famous American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Longfellow was a, a very successful poet that was famous throughout the nation. And Henry Longfellow reached his the peak of his popularity exactly about the same time that Abraham Lincoln was first elected to the presidency. And, of course, we all know what happened. As soon as he was elected president, everything began to fall apart, both for the nation and for Longfellow. The Civil War began the next year, and as the war began, Longfellow's wife was burned to death in a very tragic accident in their home. He tried to save her, and in the process of trying to save her, he, too, was severely burned. In fact, he was burned so badly he couldn't even attend her funeral. It sent him into deep depression. Well, the following year, his son, without telling him, ran away from home and joined the army. Only to be returned home with severe wounds that affected him the rest of his life. In fact, the father had to care for the son the rest of his life. And Longfellow had hit rock bottom. He was sitting in his house one day and he was just as just as depressed as you could imagine. He had gotten away from writing poetry because he just wasn't in the mood, didn't feel like doing it. And he thought to himself, sitting there in that house, and it was a dark, and his, and, and his son was having a bad day, and he was having a bad day. He was sitting there, and he thought to himself, you know, maybe I, maybe I'll just try to write again. Maybe that will be some therapy for me. So he got out a pen, and he got out a sheet of paper, and he just said, Lord, I hadn't talked to you in a while, but if you've got anything for me, I'm ready to write. And he said the poem began to form in his heart like frost on a cold winter day. And he began it like this. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, the old, familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat, A peace on earth, goodwill to men. For a moment, Longfellow felt a little bit better, and then he stopped and began to think about what was going on in this country. The Battle of Gettysburg had just been fought. Things were looking dark and bleak. His life wasn't getting any better. His son wasn't getting any better. So he kept writing, and he wrote these words. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And cynicism and pessimism began to flood his soul. He began to get bitter against about what had happened in his life. Then the longfellow began to think about that announcement that was made at Christmas, and he began to be- be- begin began to think about that baby that was laid in that cradle. And he sat down and he wrote these words. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. He was right. It was announced 2,000 years ago. God said, I will bring peace to everyone who will bring themselves to Jesus. I will bring peace to everyone who will bring themselves to Jesus. And one day, this Jesus is going to come to earth. And this Prince of Peace is going to bring peace that will last for all eternity. He's going to bring peace to the world. He's going to bring bring peace to every planet. He's going to bring peace, peace to the entire universe. So I have an announcement to make today that will literally change anybody's life forever and for always. Christmas is the reason for every season. Because in that city 2,000 years ago was born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let's pray together with heads bowed and eyes closed. I have good news for great joy to everybody and anybody in this room. There's a God who saves his people. There's a God who keeps his promises. There's a God who handles our problems. And if today you would give your heart to that God, he'll bring peace into your heart that will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is fixed on him. You bring him your sin, he'll give you his salvation. You bring him your guilt, he'll give you his grace. You bring him your failures, he'll give you his forgiveness. And if today you've never trusted in this Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior and as your Messiah, I just want to give you a chance to do that right now. Just heads bowed and eyes closed. If you today would say, Pastor, that's what I need. I need that in my heart. I need him in my life. I want what that baby represents. Then just say this right now. Just say, Dear God, I'm a sinner In need of a Savior. I've got difficulties, problems I can't handle. I need a Lord who can. And the only thing I have to count on are your promises, and I need a Messiah that I know keeps His. So today, I confess my sins. I repent. I turn away from my sins. I surrender my life to you as my Lord. I trust you as my Savior. I thank you for forgiving me of my sins. And I give all that I am to all that you are. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you were sincere, if you did and you were sincere, this little baby born 2,000 years ago was born in your heart, and he'll live with you forever because God keeps his promises. If you prayed that prayer with me today and you asked Jesus into your life, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. I want you to take that guest registration card that was attached to your order of worship. I want you to take that card. I want you to fill it out. I want you to check off that box that says, Today I receive Christ as my Lord. And then at the end of the service, when it's over, when we leave, you can either drop it in the message center or bring it to me. I'm going to be out at the table, and I would love you to bring that card to me. Nothing blesses me more than when people come to me at the table out there in the lobby where I am, and they'll hand me a card, and that little box is checked off. Today I pray to receive Christ. Bring that card to me, or you can drop it in the message center. There may be some of you here today, and you may say, well, I've already trusted Jesus. Have you been biblically baptized? That's the way you publicly announce to people that you become a believer. Everybody gets baptized. They're making a public announcement of their faith in Christ. Well, no, I've not done that. Then I'm going to ask you to fill that card out. Make a decision to say, yes, I want to be biblically baptized. We'd love to do that here. I'm going to be baptizing Christmas Eve, all three services, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. I'm going to baptize every service. If you'd like to be baptized Christmas Eve, let us know. Might even want to write down on that card, Christmas Eve baptism? We'll contact you. Or maybe you'd like to be a partner with us in our church and what we're doing here. Maybe you've been coming, you know, weeks or months or whatever. You say, "Man, I want to be involved. This is what I want to be a part of. I love what God's doing in this church." You can feel out, check off that box says, "I want to become." I start the partnership process in this church, and you can do that with that card. Now, here's my prayer for you, for all of us in this room. You say, "I don't need to do any of that, Pastor. I'm good to go." And I want you to do something. I want you to make sure that you take this Christmas Eve card and you invite somebody to our Christmas Eve service. Somebody out there needs a Savior. Somebody out there needs a Lord. Somebody out there needs the Messiah. And who knows but what they might need that one at our Christmas Eve service. So do it. We're going to go to our neighborhood tomorrow. We're going to put one of these in every box, in our, every single box in our neighborhood. We're going to put one in there, inviting our neighbors to come. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for Jesus, for who he was, what he brought, and what he did. We love you, Lord, and thank you for hearing our prayer today in your name. Amen. Well, again, I've already reminded you, three services on Christmas Eve, 1 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and I uh, hope you'll be there. We always ask the question, who? Who did you invite this past week? Who are you going to invite this week? Who are you going to invite to Christmas Eve services? Okay, I invited two guys Friday at a golf course not going anywhere. I said, they come, they're coming to our Christmas Eve service. So it be a great chance for you to invite someone. Now, before we dismiss, don't I have you stand to your feet, but before we dismiss, I, I realize because of the weather in it was kind of bad today. Some of you got in late, and I, I got to really brag on these guys up here. Let me tell you, you, those of you who are early know what I'm talking about, but these guys on their own, at their own expense, on cost, they they did something. Just They did it last year, and it was phenomenal. And uh, they went to a warehouse uh, in another county from here, and they they taped something. And the way they did it and what they're going to do now is.